we would have been the first class to go through Largo and not win a state championship. I knew that this may be the last opportunity that Coach Haley could win his 10th state championship. had Pat McDonough, the best runner in the state of Florida. He was graduating, so after that, it was like you knew we had to pull something off that year. That race met everything. We had the best team, but we knew if we didn't run our best, later would have beaten us. We put five guys in the top 25. Pretty much any other year would win it. We all ran great races that day. They just ran better. Uh, I just remember sitting there that day thinking to myself, you know what? It's don't, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to lose to you guys ever again. The only time when I run for Largo where I had the notion of we have to win this race. Freezing. It was freezing that morning. Welcome to All the Miles Mattered. Thank you for finding our show. This is Neil Amato. This podcast has been a long time coming uh, in more ways than one. I will tell you that even though I am not a Largo runner, I actually attended a Largo practice more than 40 years ago. I have kind of a personal interest in this story that I'll explain a little bit later, but the story itself is more than 50 years in the making. We have a lot of ground to cover, going back to the fields, the roads, and the sidewalks of Largo, Florida. That's the origin point of the story. Anyone who loves to learn about sports history great teams and motivational coaches and great culture on those teams, whether they won or whether they didn't, will enjoy this look back at what happened at Largo High School. Obviously, Largo won plenty. If the Packers were not so successful, this podcast probably does not happen. I said the story goes back more than 50 years, and that's to the time that a young coach had to make a decision, football or cross country. He chose to coach cross-country, and generations of runners are thankful that he did. All the Miles Mattered has three focus areas. The first is the coach who created a distance-running dynasty. Largo was, you know, it was like a wall. You could run up against it, but you weren't going to move. But it all centers around the man, you know, around Coach Haley. The second is the rise of the program at Lado High School in Tampa. Lado was a friendly rival of Largo's just across Tampa Bay coached by Bobby Ennis. Lado, yeah. The long red line or whatever they called themselves. They were they were a great program. And the third part, the challengers, both teams and individuals, who made a run at Largo and Lado's dominance. You're going to hear from many of those runners going back many years, but for this first episode, we're going to do some time travel, zeroing in on November 1987 and a critical juncture for the Largo program. The reason that year's state meet matters so much, and it was the son of Largo coach Brent Haley saying just a few minutes ago, quote, that race meant everything. And that was because the Largo dynasty was on the brink of extinction. It was about to be replaced by the program Coach Ennis was building at Lado. Lado's team was known by the name the Long Red Row. And they had a whole Land of the Rising Sun vibe in their uniforms. The shorts had a white background with a red sun and rays coming out from it. And Lado had begun to make a dent in that Largo wall that Keith Brantley mentioned earlier. 
Keith Brantley, one of the greatest runners in Florida history. You'll hear from him more in this podcast. Lato had won three of the previous five state championships at the 4A level. And in 1987, they had the team to take out the Packers, even though Largo had not lost a meet all season. Despite what the guys on that 1987 Largo team might tell you, they were not wearing the same jerseys as the runners in the late 60s and early 70s. But they were wearing older uniforms than even their own JV team. Sort of like a tradition, like, well, this is the same uniform that, you know, the 82 team wore or the 80, you know, I don't think I ever had a new uniform the entire time I was in high school. No, you didn't. They were pretty bad. They, they weren't comfortable, they smelled, you know, they got washed a lot, but it never seemed to make all the smells and stains go away. Yeah, they were faded but, like crazy. Oh, and yes, yes. The Packers were regulars at the state cross-country meet. They didn't just qualify, though. They challenged for the championship just about every year for 20 years. Pat McDonough, who almost certainly would be on Largo's Mount Rushmore, was the senior leader for the Packers a guy who did not lose a race in his final season. And that's his final school year. Neither in cross country or track did he lose in FHSAA competition. There was plenty of talent behind him on that cross country team, but just behind the top five or so, the cupboard was more empty than Coach Haley would have liked. Runner Keith Johnstone, who was the one you heard just a minute ago talking about the smelly jerseys. Now he had older sisters run before him at Largo, and he understood the tradition of the program and how things were changing. We didn't have the mass of people that would show up to where you take the top five of them to be, hey, you guys are going to be the guys who push it and move forward. Like they used to have 100 guys come out for JV. The ranks were getting thinner and thinner as we went along. Why exactly those numbers were in decline is something we'll explore in future episodes. What we will also discuss is why in this sport, There is a trend related to finishing times that is somewhat astounding. Yes, records are meant to be broken, and certainly Newberry Park in California is leading that charge right now with a deep and fast team in cross-country and track. But in the late 1970s and early 1980s, Largo was Newberry Park. In the more recent decades, and not just at Largo, the top 20 or 30 runners in many races are slower than they were in the 70s and 80s. Now, without giving too much of my storylines away, I'll say this. Lato would go on to win multiple state championships. That's another reason this podcast exists. Largo built a tradition unlike any other in Florida, but they had this nearby rival doing more than just nipping at their heels, and the Falcons were coached by a guy who just happened to be Brent Haley's best friend. This was a rivalry, the gold and blue of Largo and the red and white of Lado, but it was not cutthroat. It was not Florida, Florida State or Duke, North Carolina. Both teams really wanted to win and they put in a lot of work to do so, but both coaches demanded that their teams be gracious in defeat, humble in victory. It didn't matter what the race was. There was complete respect and complete camaraderie between the two programs. And it was completely fostered by Coach Haley and by Coach Ennis being of the same kind of mindset. It's a time that uh, almost seems like it could have never existed in human history. It was something to believe in. You know, it wasn't cocky and arrogant and self-important. It was really, really, truly about being decent and 
going out there and showing everything you had when you're on the course and not running your mouth. We were taught that, and it, it was great. That was the voice of Chris Palmer, who is a key part of this story and a key part of helping this podcast come together. In Coach Haley's book, he said of the rivalry with Lado, especially in the 1980s, quote, there was nothing like it. And he was absolutely right. In the 80s, Lado and Largo won every state championship but one in 4A, Florida's largest classification. In 1987 specifically, Largo was the team that easily could have been feeling the pressure. But some race video that I've acquired shows the Packers as a pretty loose bunch the night before the state meet in Titusville. We are live from the uh, Davenport bed. It is exactly 523, the day before the state meet. Big day when Pat is ranked number one in the whole state. And Lord Cross Country team is ranked number one in the state too. So Pat, how do you feel about the meet tomorrow? Do you feel very confident? Uh, very, very confident. Today? Teammates are real pumped up. We look like we're going to win. Still in between some perhaps predictable teenage distractions, you'll hear more of Pat McDonough's voice on how much that Largo tradition actually meant. So Pat, uh, um, how do you feel about your competition tomorrow? Uh, it's, it's pretty tough, but... Uh, Largo! Yo, baby! Woo! Wait, let me check out these women. Uh, she flipped us uh, off, uh, man. Whoa, okay. We're losing all the light here. Pat, uh, how do you feel about... Uh, uh, your whole season so far. I mean, has it has been going for you? Um, well, he's undefeated. Well, the season yeah. right. I mean, the season, the season right now is really past history. State meet is is the big meet. Matt Farnick, he came in. He was undefeated. Okay. He finished third. So really, rankings don't mean to be scrubbing. So I'm just going out there. You gonna run like a proud running hog, mom? Have you grown spiritually throughout the season? <laughs> Obviously, Largo had plenty of history on its side, and Coach Haley firmly believed that staying on top was easier than getting to the top. The cross-country program at Largo was well-known. In fact, I'll make the case that if you ask someone in the early 1980s what they knew about Largo High School, the first two things they'd mention were cross-country and marching band. Largo finished first or second in the state cross-country meet every year but one, between 1969 and 1984. Coach Haley was named National Coach of the Year in 1976, and his 1983 team was ranked number one in the country by a website that analyzed results nationwide years later. Largo's band wasn't just good in Florida or the United States. The Largo Band of Gold achieved global acclaim. Now, marching band shows and athletic competitions generally only mix at Friday night football games, but not at Largo. Coach Haley got this idea from one of his role models, Coach Nick Gailey, who won state titles at Titusville High School and Titusville's Astronaut High. At those schools' invitational meets, Gailey had the band play. Coach Haley adopted that practice later at one of the go-to meets for any state title contender in the 1970s and 80s, the Largo Invitational. He had the band play between the 1.5 and 2-mile marks because that was a time in the race that runners needed a boost. The presence of the band, along with cheerleaders, media coverage, and fast times, gave the Largo Invitational some buzz. I'll have the story of at least two memorable races from that meet in a later episode, events that add considerably to the lore of Largo. Now, on that history and tradition front, as McDonough said in the van, Rankings meant nothing if the Packers didn't perform well. 
And in order to perform well, they would have to run in weather that was, for them, extremely cold. For a Florida kid, you know, when you're in the 70s that time of year, and then all of a sudden you wake up, it's in the upper 40s. It feels like it's zero. That voice you heard was Lado runner Dan Lucas, who Tampa Bay Area TV viewers may know for his work as a sports anchor at WFLA. Back then, he was Danny Lucas. He was a key member of the Lado team. November 21st, 1987, the day of that race, marked a turning point for Lado as well. And later on in the show, I'll explain why that day could go down as the greatest in Largo cross-country history. It's a connection I don't believe anyone has made before. Be sure to stick around for that. Now, these episodes are compact by design, approximately 15 minutes each. I hope that means they're easy to listen to, easy to binge, but there is a reason for the length, a theme around the number 15. First, 15 is the perfect score in cross-country. Lowest score in cross-country wins. If you finish first, second, third, fourth, and fifth, the numbers that go with those places add up to 15. So 15 points, the perfect score. Second, the top boys runners in cross-country are often right at that 15-minute barrier. Whether it was the three-mile race of yesteryear, which is what we're talking about most of the time on this show, or the 5K of today, right at or under 15 minutes means you're pretty fast. You can be sure we're going to come back to November 21st, 1987, and there's going to be other key spots to stop along the way. Thanks for coming along for the ride for the first episode of All the Miles Mattered. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you know when future episodes are released. Share it far and wide. And please also leave us a rating and a review. That kind of feedback is something that's important to me. And also the more of those five-star reviews and the more words we get about the show, the more it is seen in platforms such as Apple Podcasts. Another way to keep up with the show is to go to our Facebook page where you can find photos and more about the key people in the story. I plan to do trivia questions there. That'll be where you can go to be eligible for our fantastic prizes. Uh, We don't have much of a budget for prizes, but we'll see what we can come up with. On Facebook, search All the Miles Mattered, and please like the page. And if you have memories to share for potential inclusion in an episode, you can leave a voicemail. How 1980s is that? The number to dial is area code 919-867-1319. Again, the number is 919-867-1319. I'm sure you know what song that one is a parody of. That song was released in 1981 when Largo was at the height of its dominance. The Packers had won three state titles in a row, and that win in 81 gave them eight championships since just the 1970 season. How did Largo get so good? Find out on the next episode of All the Miles Mattered. Guys like Funkhauser and How to Shell, and the Largo program was literally a dynasty, and it was set up so everyone was successful, and everyone got better, and everyone felt like they were part of the team. Um, And that came from the top down. That was, you know, Haley's Comets. We were the pack, but we were really the sons of Brent Haley.